Good morning. And Merry Christmas. This is a huge crowd. Uh, it's great to have y'all. I appreciate y'all um, doing whatever you did this morning uh, to get up here. I'm going to keep it simple today um, based on the day that it is. Um, uh, very quickly, we have one 10 o'clock service next week, New Year's Day. I know Clemson plays at 7. I'm glad they don't play at 8.30. Um, but uh, we have one service here, 10 o'clock on New Year's Day. And we're going to go um, after this service. If you brought any treats, we've got some treats. We'll take them to the um, police station and fire station, and we can walk them up there. Um, I think that's it. Caitlin is normally, she's our contemporary uh, worship leader, and she's obviously normally over at 9 o'clock, so if y'all don't know Caitlin, uh, she is part of the uh, Owens Tree, uh, Thomas's wife, and has been a great addition to our staff, and uh, she's going to lead us with hymns that y'all know well. We'll just encourage y'all to, uh, it's going to be a acoustic guitar, so we want you to sing, uh, sing out, and we're going to, before we start the service, we have a special birthday. So we're going to sing happy birthday to Noah. How about that? Y'all ready? And I'll even keep my microphone on if y'all are willing to hang in there with me. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Noah. Happy birthday to you. Way to be, buddy. <laughs> You're welcome. Y'all will uh, stand and join me with number 246 in your hymnal.
please join me in the Christmas responsive reading in your bulletin. As we lit the candle of hope, we prayed for those who felt hopeless. As we lit the candle of peace, we prayed for all victims of violence. As we lit the candle of joy, we prayed for those weighed down by sorrow. As we lit the Christ candle, we prayed for those that experienced darkness in their lives. Holy One, you have made our darkness light. Let us pray. I'm sorry, please be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this house where we may gather. We thank you for your Son who came to be human, to experience weakness, to experience pain, to experience sorrow, to lead fellow humans, to be your law, your covenant, your love personified. We thank you for his presence amongst us and as we read about his adolescence today, help us to recognize the humanity. Help us to recognize his participation in the struggle. Help us to recognize our calling to participate as well, to respond to your law, to respond to your covenant, to respond to your love. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught His disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and you can turn to page 218 to uh, read along or to sing along with Caitlin. If our ushers will come forward. Still their heavenly 
please stand for the doxology. It's going to be a little different based on Caitlin playing it. be seated. So there's only one story between Jesus being a toddler and Jesus being an adult. So last night we celebrated an infant and today we're talking about a 12 year old Jesus in the temple. We're going to look at Luke 2 verse 41. And you can find it on page 1592 in your pew Bible. his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old they went up according to the custom when the feast was ended as they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God and you can keep them up and we're going to read more so Luke's version I listened to a um, podcast the other day that was about three hours long on a person who was the chief editor of one of my favorite television shows that's ended. And he talked about all the things that they did from start to finish in terms of you are the final director as the editor of this television show, as this of this miniseries, of this movie, because you are making the call as to what's included in the final cut. These authors who wrote these stories decided to include different elements because they had different points that they wanted to make about Jesus. Luke might be my favorite because he wants to explain so much. He wants to unpack so much. He wants everybody to understand the connection. And this story was important solely to him to be included in the gospel. Uh, notice Jesus' age. How old is he? He's 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? How many disciples were there? See, great storytellers connect things and make sure that everybody can connect the dots to each element of the story. And you're talking about people who for hundreds of years couldn't read. We're not watching this on Netflix. We're not watching this in the movie theater. We're not watching this on our television sets. We're not even reading this in a book. This is a story told to people each uh, particular part of the year in the same way that we tell the story until four people decided we need to compile this in a way that people will understand that Jesus was who he was. 
not a given that he's the son of God in a way that we believe, but trying to convince people that his life that ended in crucifixion in Jerusalem and a uh, mystery uh, vanishment from the tomb was uh, affirming the fact that he was the son of God. So this is a quote from Ron Allen. He's a professor of New Testament. He said, By noting that Mary and Joseph went every year to Jerusalem for the Passover, Luke 2.41 implies that Jesus grew up in a faithful Jewish household. By recollecting that Jesus was raised in a faithful Jewish atmosphere and recalling that Jesus speaks as a Jewish insider, Luke assures listeners that the viewpoints of Jesus and the church are authentically Jewish. Why is that critical? Because he says and does and includes and eats with some crazy people. He says crazy things all the time to them. He welcomes people that they would never welcome. He eats with people they would never eat with. He associates with people, even in public, in the middle of the day, with people that they don't think that he should. So by his actions and his words, they wonder if he's authentically Jewish, if he even knows what he's talking about. Any leader that steps into a situation and has uh, dynamic changes that they're going to make the people in that situation need to believe that he or she knows what they're talking about. Do you even understand us before you're trying to change us? So people who are reading this story, people who have heard this story, are hearing Luke's version trying to tell them he has been with you your entire time. He understands the law. He understands um, the practices. He understands the covenants more than you do. And even in that understanding, he is doing the things that he's doing. It's important to note that. So before we get into that, uh, I'll have you consider something. What were you doing at age 12? What year was it? Mine was 1990. And I actually had to look back. I had to look back on the calendar academic year to think what year it was and what academic year I was. So what, so was most everybody in the sixth grade? So I look back, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm the last sixth grade class in elementary. Um, after me, sixth grade was then in middle school. I went to the principal's office, the only time I ever went to the principal's office, because I took my retainer out on the bus, and a girl thought it was gross, so I throttled up and put it right in her face. <laughs> and she screamed, and the bus driver didn't like it, so I had to go to the principal's office, and one time was good for life. Never had to go back. Also, I started my um, business career by cutting two yards at $15 a yard, and I was crazy into money. I had 30 bucks a week as a sixth grader. Um, what were you doing when you were 12? Because Jesus is hanging back and he's with the authorities in the place of authority. See, I'm thinking the ones, it's got to be about politics and it's got to be about power who's actually in the temple. But it's also about wisdom. More than likely, with a little bit of politics sprinkled in, if, if not a little bit more than a little bit, 
These are the brightest, the best of understanding the law and the covenant. Understanding what the prophets intended. And Jesus is sitting with them. How do you think of another image? When was a time when you scared your parents, chaperones, caregivers to death because you veered off the path? I'm guessing there was a time. I don't know why I did this, but in kindergarten, somewhere around April, March, April, I got on a bus. There was a woman who picked three of us up and took us to an after school at First Pres every day. And my parents picked me up from the after school. My mom was a teacher. I remember it. I don't remember much. Uh, I remember vividly coming out of the school and always wondering where that bus went. And I got on it. I don't even know how the bus driver let me on. I would have never ridden the bus. And somehow that bus ended up in my neighborhood. And I got off the bus, not right by my house, but I got off the bus and walked in the door and my dad, <laughs> he was there because normally he traveled. He was there and he was totally weirded out by me being there. There's no reason for you to be here and why are you here? I'm guessing there's some time. Even as an adult, I, had, well, I took 43 adults to Israel. I would try to wrangle, I'm talking about 50, 60 year olds trying to wrangle them and keep them in a group and every once in a while one of them would wander off. We're not wandering off in uh, uh, Spartanburg or Greenville. You're wandering off in Bethlehem. I need you to stick with us. Think about him staying behind and his parents moving on. I'll give you the, you know, when you think like, okay, was Jesus fully human? Did he really experience what humans experience? Well, free will is one of those human things that's sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Sometimes we want free will for ourselves. Sometimes we don't want it for other people. Jesus exercised his free will and hung back when the whole crowd was going. You had to think, like, everybody didn't have a minivan with bucket seats and movies. This is a big crowd going. So it might be kind of easy to hang back and people not notice. Everybody just figures you're with them. I studied the themes and genres of the Bible, including free will, for three years at what I consider to be an excellent seminary. But I did not understand free will until I was a minister, a coach, and a parent. Because we talk about what we're going to do, then we go to the thing, and then you do what you do. You might do what we talked about. You might not do what we talked about. You might do half of what we talked about. But Jesus exercised his free will the uh, end of verse 43. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. So I want you to notice the numbers. A day's journey. You ever lose somebody for like five minutes? You ever leave your wallet behind and your your or your purse and you're ten minutes down the road and you're going on a six-hour trip and you got to go ten minutes back? Now you're twenty minutes. You're starting to do the math. This person's in front of you and they're in the red light and they're not going. And you really need to be on. You got to be going. Y'all ever do anything like? Is that just me? A day. They were gone for a day. That means 
It's a whole day coming back. That's a whole day of wondering where he is. And what's got to be going through their head is every threat that's ever been presented to them, just the ones that we have in Scripture, much less the ones that they've had since then. When the king felt really threatened by him as a two-year-old and wanted to take out all the two-year-old boys just to take him out. Think about the fear that was in their head. And they can't go any faster. They can't get in the car. They can't go 85 miles an hour. Can't call the police. You are walking back for one full day. And the threat of everything that's been. And how many days was it until they found him? That's interesting. How many days was he in the tomb? See, three all the time. Three days. What kind of sleep do you think mom got on those nights? What kind of heated arguments do you think they were having for those 48, 72 hours of, you know, I, you know, I told you. Y'all ever drop I told you when you really shouldn't drop I told you? You really should probably hold that in, but you're going to go ahead and do it, and you're going to push the button. And when you push the button, the other person's going to push the button. This is not a peaceful thing. This is a frightening thing of which everything would be elevated. It continues the genre of three days before this story. It foreshadows the three days in the tomb. Verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, y'all hear mom saying that? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You think that's a little more formal version of what she said? Maybe. Think I can drop behold on my children sometime? Behold! We talked about this before we got in the car. Right? Why did you do that? How many times do you think he's going to be asked this question? The rest of his life. The rest of his life, Jesus will be asked, why did you do that? Because he'll always press the boundaries outward. He'll always include people that they didn't expect. He'll always reinterpret the law, or as he would say, they've gotten loose from the law, and he's bringing them back to the law. He will always include. And here's the irony. People are always amazed at his actions and his words. Especially when they do something for him, for them. When he does something for them. When he gets wide of their expectations that they've set forth, not necessarily in total study of Scripture, but just the thing that they figured ought to be done, what do they say? Why did you do that? Behold, we got laws here. You're not supposed to include them. You're not supposed to say that to them. You're not supposed to do that on a Sunday. You're not supposed to heal that person. You're not supposed to include that person. Why did you do that? Over and over and over again, one of the first ones that ever asked him is his own mother. Because humans will forever struggle to understand the amazing power and grace and gift of God. 
until we are there ourselves. So here's what we ought to ask ourselves. Rather than asking major leaders, politicians, um, ministers, uh, relatives, God, rather than asking God, why did you do that? Why don't we ask ourselves, why did we do that? Why do we do what we do? Why do we celebrate what we celebrate? Why do we include whom we include? Why do we gather when we gather? That we might be amazed by the actions and words of God in our life. Verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, even though they understood this story. They had been told before how amazing he was going to be. They could not get it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Y'all notice that, what Mary did? Whenever everything's swirling around, everybody's going crazy, everybody thinks it's amazing, what does Mary do? Treasures it up in her heart. I thought I knew this story, but it expanded on me. And I'm going to expand with it. I'm going to treasure it myself. So, to us who have heard this story many times, to us who have the opportunity in the coming year to spread this story out, let's be open. Let's have our hands out. Let's be welcome, uh, welcoming to the uh, image of God that comes to us, the love of God that's shared with us, and the opportunity to serve others that's presented to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for calling us to your house this day. We pray that you will call us all year long. That you will use tables that we share wherever we are to spread this message. That you will use us as an example with our actions far before our words. That others may know the love of your Son who understands us, who's felt our pain, who knows sickness and death, and who overcomes it all. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's um, stand together and sing number 217, Away in a Manger.
this morning coming. It's not a given that y'all were come, and I'm grateful that you did, and I hope it was meaningful to you. Thanks to everyone who helped um, serve this morning on Christmas Day. We appreciate it. Thank you. Hope y'all have a blessed day, travel safely, have great meals, and uh, honor and glorify God with your actions and your words. Go in peace.